Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you that we are able to worship you in prayer, in the confession of our sin, and rejoicing in the assurance of our pardon. Lord, singing to you, proclaiming you as the eternal God who is worthy of our worship, the one who is mighty, who has done great things, the one who came and didn't leave us orphans, but came to us and suffered for us and rose again on our behalf that we might be justified. And then returning to the Father's right hand and giving us a spirit, his spirit that would guide us into all truth. And Lord, we just thank you for this glorious gospel that we are here to celebrate this morning. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And God, we ask that you would help us to continue as we look to your word in just a few moments and that you would be edified, or we would be edified, that you would be glorified. And Lord, that you would uh, be lifted up, not just in the praises and, and worship and the, the hearing and the reverence of your people, but Lord, that we would be obedient to it. And Lord, you would be glorified in that as well. Lord, we pray that you would not just be with us, but other churches in our community. We lift up Beaver Creek Primitive Baptist Church this morning here in Ash County, that you would be with them. Lord, that you would make yourself known to them, and Lord, that you would continue your work in them. Lord, that you would uh, guard and protect them from the enemy, and Lord, that you would uh, lead them into all truth. Father, we thank you for the Reformed Baptist Network. We thank you for Bible Fellowship Church in Greentown, Pennsylvania. We thank you for the work that you are doing there, that you would continue uh, that, that you would um, just give the elders wisdom there, Lord, that you would strengthen them, and Lord, that the gospel would go forth uh, from that church in that area of Pennsylvania. God, we know that uh, we take for granted uh, being able to worship this morning without fear of our own government, but we know that's not the case in all places, and so we lift up the persecuted church this morning. We lift up particularly the persecuted church in Mali, West Africa, that you would be with the church there, that you would strengthen them, Lord, for those who are falsely imprisoned and those who are suffering for your namesake, that you would give them strength, that you would uphold them, and Lord, that you would help them to endure. Father, we know that the gospel is going forth. You've called us to take it to the ends of the earth, and not us personally, but us corporately as the church. And we pray that the gospel would go forth to unreached places. This morning, Lord, we lift up the Bokha people of China, that you would be with them, that you would bring the gospel to them, that you would uh, see to it that the scriptures are translated into their heart language, that they might know you. And so, God, we lift them to you, Lord, that they might, uh, there might be disciples of you in that people group in our generation. And, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Father, we lift up the crises around the world uh, that no doubt are on many of our minds. We continue to lift up uh, the Sudan crisis and Thank you for sparing many in Khartoum. We pray for those that are still there uh, and many that have been evacuated, that you would uh, bring uh, peace there, that you would accomplish your purposes uh, in that city, let alone in all of Sudan. Father, we pray for the war in Ukraine. We know that many are grieving loved ones that have died in this war on both sides. Lord, we pray that, uh, that this would come to a conclusion. 
But Lord, we know from your word that you are accomplishing things that we cannot see or understand. And so we entrust ourselves to you and we pray for the Ukrainian church and for the Russian church that you would strengthen believers there, that you would encourage them, that nationalism would not affect their love for their brothers and sisters across borders. And uh, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for those that are responding uh, in the war, uh, that you would keep them safe and uh, care for them. Uh, Many of the mercenaries and others from other nations as well. Father, we don't forget Turkey and Syria and the continued um, just recovery from those earthquakes earlier uh, this year, and Lord, that you would provide for them. Thank you for the homes and the meals that are being provided by so many different organizations. We pray for the refugees, that you would be with them and that you would care for them. Father, more close to home, we think of those who are sick in our congregation and those that we love and care about uh, and our friends. Lord, we Lift up uh, Helen Marie, Kitty's friend, Lord, that you would help her to feel better and that you would be uh, bring quick healing to her, Lord, as we've been lifting her up. Father, for David Reed, Lord, that you'd be with him after having a rough week and just um, having been in the hospital, Lord, that you would heal him and that you would strengthen him, that you would uphold him, and uh, Lord, give him energy for the week ahead. Father, we uh, lift up uh, the Maines family as well, uh, the Maines family and the friends of the Jacksons that you'd be with this family as well as they make these hard decisions with uh, aging parents, particularly with Janice, Lord, that you would be uh, with them as they make these decisions. Father, we pray for others that are sick in our congregation that you would be with them as well. Father, we think of the Brown family here in our community after the loss of Cade And Lord, that you would continue with them and the grieving process. Father, we pray that you would um, just uphold them, Lord, as they uh, go and celebrate uh, graduation with their other son, Lord, that that would not overshadow these great joys in other parts of the family. So God, we ask that you would continue to bring healing to them uh, in a wound so deep. So Lord, that you would um, wrap your arms around them and comfort in a way that only you can. Father, we lift up our hurting places around um, our nation as well after recent shootings and uh, floods and uh, all kinds of different natural disasters that you would be with all those. Lord, for those that are traveling, we rejoice, Lord, over um, this uh, wonderful uh, baby girl that has been born, uh, Dakota Rose. We thank you for the oars, Lord. We thank you for this delivery. Um, Pray that you would bring healing to Kaylee and this precious uh, baby, Lord. Thank you for um, just all that you're doing in um, their lives, Lord, that you would um, just uphold them, uh, that you would give them strength in these early days as parents, uh, but give them great rejoicing, Lord, as they consider all that you have done. Father, we lift up our other expectant mothers. We think of Ellie and Sarah, Lord, that you would be with them as they um, anxiously await uh, these little ones in the womb, Lord, that you would guard and protect them and bring them to full term. We thank you for all of our mothers this morning, Lord, this Mother's Day, as we celebrate uh, what you have done in giving us mothers and the kindness that you show to us in a culture that wants to erase gender. Uh, We thank you for mothers. We thank you for them and their role in uh, the lives of all and uh, how they are the building blocks of our own society and that any society will crumble without mothers and fathers. And so we thank you for them. We thank you for your glorious creation and making male and female. 
And uh, Lord, we do thank you for mothers this morning. Lord, we pray for our members who are in transition, that you would continue to be with them. We, we love them. We want you to work in their lives and uh, be with them as they make decisions, Lord, to your glory. Father, we pray for Christ alone, uh, the church plant down in Wilkes County. Would you be with Brian uh, Furtis this morning, Lord, as he preaches your word down there and gives Tim and Cindy a break uh, to get away. We thank you for Tim and Cindy. Would you refresh them, Lord, as they have been at the beach and uh, give them great refreshment as they return this week and uh, get back in the saddle and uh, back to work. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would refresh them greatly. And Lord, now as we turn to um, our uh, message this morning, Lord, would you be glorified in the preaching of your word and our obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to each of you mothers. Uh, we are thankful for you and uh, thank you for the labors that you uh, accomplish each day of your lives. It's a special time of the year as we look at those things. And we know that that is not uh, on a liturgical calendar, but as uh, I was prepping uh, Genesis 14, looking at uh, the war between Gentile nations and Lot being taken captive, it just seemed more like a Father's Day passage. Uh, and so if you will forgive me, I really thought we would take a break from Genesis this week and look at Titus 2 this morning. And I'm sure uh, you can understand in the context of our own society how important it is to take opportunities to address issues uh, and yet uh, look at the scriptures and how timeless they are uh, for the issues of gender, sexuality, let alone motherhood and fatherhood. And so I thought I would take that opportunity uh, to look at that uh, this morning. It reminds me of uh, when uh, Nathan and I were down uh, in Columbia, South Carolina this last fall with Steve Lawson. He mentioned a time on a Mother's Day that he chose to ignore that it was Mother's Day and continue his series on the book of Revelation. Uh, but he did not get a, receive a warm welcome when he opened up chapter 17 on the whore of Babylon. And so he was uh, wrestling with that, and he shared with us as pastors that there are appropriate times to take a break from our regular expositions to focus on more pressing issues of our day. So as we look at God's Word this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2. We'll read that in just a moment. Uh, but I wanted to address a few of the children's questions that uh, we have uh, been behind on, and so if you would allow me to do that. I want to do that right before we jump into the text this morning. We had some great questions, and these, of course, were from Genesis. The first one uh, that I wanted to catch up on was, what was the first animal that was killed in a sacrifice after the flood? That's a great question. Um, those scriptures really don't tell us, but it does tell us that Noah did make an offering to the Lord. In fact, uh, we know from the book of Genesis that several animals were taken, clean animals, onto the ark for the purpose of sacrificing. In other words, there was more clean animals on there than unclean. So it wasn't just two by two, but there were special animals set aside that ultimately would fulfill the demands of the sacrificial system to come, even in the protection of God's creation on the ark. So excellent question uh, there on Genesis. And then the second one that I wanted to address is if Noah sacrificed animals, how did they reproduce? 
That's a great question. You can't have reproducing animals if you killed them all, right? That's a great question. But kind of related to this first question is that the animals uh, weren't completely annihilated or extinct. Uh, there was more clean animals that were to be sacrificed uh, and therefore keep the reproduction levels up as the earth reproduced. So great questions, guys. Uh, sorry that I've neglected to get to those in weeks past, uh, but thank you for writing your questions down, um, children, and you can put those in your worship guides, and uh, we'll catch up on a few a week until we get caught up. So thank you for that. Back to you mothers. You have a difficult job in this generation. I want to encourage you uh, this morning from God's word and um, really all of us, we know that God's word is timeless. And so to pinpoint a particular group of people in a particular sermon um, is good, but it's also applicable to us all. And as we look at the book of Titus this morning, we're going to see that it's applicable to all of us. But I'm going to focus in on verse 4 and 5, mainly to our mothers, let alone women in general, and look at these things and how timely they are in these, uh, this, this generation. You know, when I think about uh, all that is going on, one of the reasons that led me to this again this morning is I think about our mothers. I think about uh, the expectant mothers that we have. I think about Kaylee just giving birth to a, a, a baby daughter. I think of you homeschooling moms that are trying to uh, finish up homeschooling this year and, and, uh, and those who are taking tests and getting all these things together. Uh, I think about the discouragement that happens in your homes and in your hearts. I think about the, the hurting and exhaustion and the grief that some of you have having lost children, either miscarried or whether you have lost a child uh, to death. I think about those who are grieving in uh, many ways for their spiritually lost children and the weight that that comes upon a mother's heart, that their children would be saved and would look in faith to, to Christ, who is the only salvation for your children. And as much as you do, as much as you labor, you know that you're not able to save your children, and so you must look to Christ. Nonetheless, the current climate that we have that really questions motherhood in general and whether it is worth our time. In fact, even in the context of this week, it really assured me that this is what I was supposed to be preaching because of the very fact that a program that I use to actually help me with grammar when I'm writing out manuscripts, sent me this email, and I joke not. It said this, please update your program to premium because your words are not inclusive. It goes further, avoid parenting and gender biases by getting these updates. These suggestions, in my opinion, show how off our world is. In fact, at the end of it, it even showed that we could be more respectful in our communications. The comments here are really on a sermon, a typed sermon that went through this system, and I just couldn't believe it. The, the fact that God's word is under attack, that it would be seen as disrespectful to women, let alone gender-biased, is uh, the issue of our day. And there couldn't be a more appropriate time to look at human sexuality and gender equality, but not gender sameness, as we look at the text of Scripture this morning. 
And so our culture is pushing against not just biases, they're pushing against the Word of God, the created order, if you will. And so we want to focus this morning on this text of Titus 2, and I want us to understand the context, and then I'm going to focus in on verse 4 and 5 for some exhortations to our, our mothers, and then, um, and then we'll bring some application in general. And you fathers, you're not getting away. We'll come back to this passage on Father's Day. I decided to make a two-part sermon because it would be unfair. So when you look at Titus chapter 2, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We're going to be looking at the first um, five verses. This is God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to tr teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, and they are not to be well uh, be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Titus was born to Gentile parents. They were of Greek descent, and Titus became a Christian, most likely under Paul's ministry. Titus was the great encouragement of Paul. For those who have not been able to join us on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through Corinthians. Uh, Titus is mentioned by Paul in his second letter, 2 Corinthians, really uh, his third letter. The first one is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. But the, the second letter to the Corinthians, he mentions Titus nine times. Titus was dear to him in the Lord. In fact, Titus is the one who accompanied Paul to Crete. And it's when he did this that Paul wanted to establish four things that he wanted Titus to put in order, if you will, in Crete. Now, Crete was a mess. Really, everywhere's a mess, right? Uh, without uh, the order of the Word of God, that God calls us from chaos into his order to trust him by his grace. But he wanted Paul, or rather, Paul wanted Titus to put these four things in order. First of all, he wanted order in general. He says to bring order in these ways. Secondly, he tells him to ordain or set apart elders in each city where he went, plural. He wanted to see a plurality of elders in every church, in every city. Thirdly, he said he wanted him to avoid unprofitable discussions. And anybody knows that one of the greatest uh, distractions to ministry is getting involved in unimportant things, unprofitable things, as Paul puts it. And the fourth thing that he wanted him to focus on was to assert his delegated authority. 
Now, Paul had that authority as an apostle. He wanted to see churches planted. He wanted to see elders leading in those ways because that is what God had instructed him to do. And so right here in the middle of your New Testament, you'll find First and Second Timothy and Titus. These are pastoral epistles. They're letters, if you will, to shepherds on how to shepherd well, the quality of elders and what they're to do and what they're to give their attention to. And it's in this context that Paul is writing here to Titus this very personal letter. In fact, in chapter 1, we see his focal point. Look at verse 9 real quickly with me. He says, the qualification of elders, that they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We know that from the scriptures that the very centrality of all ministry out of the local church, the hub of the wheel, if you will, is the teaching of God's word. Without proper exposition of God's word, without proper theology, we'll never have proper practice. Without an understanding of God's word, we will always be off base. In fact, God is constantly reforming his church. How? Through the preaching of the word of God through the teaching and study of the Word of God. And not just in a public way, but we're called to do this in our private devotions as well, in how God guides us through His Word, teaches us in all ways. So this is the context of Titus. In fact, he contrasts this, look down to verse 16 of chapter 1, that the focus of sound doctrine is contrasted with the Cretan culture of Paul and Titus's day. And he said this, that they profess to know God in verse 16, but they deny him by their works. So it's one thing to say what we believe. It's another thing to live it out before men by the power of the Spirit. So now we see the exhortation here in chapter 2, verse 1. What does he say? The, ex, uh, the exhortation is teach what accords with sound doctrine. You might be thinking, well, what in the world? I thought this was going to be a Mother's Day message, not on the authority of the Word of God. Well, you're, we're getting there. We'll see how Paul actually uses this to show how the gospel is adorned in your life and in mine. And so we see that he encourages. Notice what we just read in chapter 2 here. Paul instructs Timothy, I mean Titus rather, uh, concerning older men he starts with. It's proper to start with men, isn't it? Men are called by God to lead. They are called to take uh, the, the lead in all areas of, of life. They're not to be passive. And so he instructs them. And then notice that he switches and goes to older women next. In other words, older, wiser people, there's more accountability there. He's calling them out first. He's encouraging them, if you will. And then thirdly, he addresses the younger women. And then he ends with younger men. In fact, he doesn't stop there. He goes so far as to address bond servants at the end of the passage we just read down into verse 9 and verse 10. So what are all these instructions pertaining to? Mainly that it's the character of what Christ is working in the human heart of his people that adorns the gospel that is being preached. And why is this so important? We can talk about doctrine all day, and we can talk about its influence in our life, 
But Paul is telling Titus and he's telling Timothy in his epistles that if we do not live out that which God has worked in, we bring shame to the gospel. And not just that, but we bring the gospel into question as it's, whether it's true or not and whether it's taking fruit in our lives. And so why this focus? Again, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying that these adorn the work and word of God. Notice his exhortation in verse 5, which we'll come back to at the end, is that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, his exhortations do not end with just these things because he says and repeats it in verse 9, if you look, with the bondservants, and he says that they would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. But the context, if you notice, is about their faith in action, them living out what God has worked into them. Yes, the attitudes, the Christian character of even Christian slaves brought the gospel into question. Isn't that interesting in the first century that Paul doesn't spend his time talking about social justice? He doesn't spend his time talking about overturning even the slavery or the bondservant uh, mentality of Rome. He doesn't even talk to, to overthrow Rome itself. He focuses on the very quiet work of the Spirit in the human heart of those who have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of the marvelous Son. And so really the context of this whole epistle to the Cretan church is being called out to live out, to believe, and display the true theology that God has shown them in Christ. That truly Christ is their confession. That Christ is working in them and producing fruit of repentance and faith in the midst of a very perverse culture. And so if you look down here, I want to focus just on verse 4 and 5 for the rest of our time together, focusing on godly mothers. And I know that's a, a, a focal application point, but I want to do that, uh, and we'll return to these other parts of Titus 2 uh, in the future. I want to do this in four parts. Firstly, we'll see that godly mothers are devoted. We'll, we know that these are mothers because the older women are to teach the younger women um, uh, and their to love their husbands and their children. We'll look at that. We Secondly, we'll look at godly mothers that are dignified. And then thirdly, godly mothers are domestic. And we'll explain that and what Paul is hinting at. And then lastly, we'll tie all those together with our last point, that godly mothers are deliberate in guarding the gospel with their lives and actions. So take a look at verse 4 here. We've looked at the context of teaching sound doctrine, and now he goes into application towards older women and younger women. Look at verse 3 real quick before we look at verse 4 to understand the context. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent, likewise to the men, um, in their behavior. They're not to be slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. I think it's appropriate here to see that God creates roles for men and women. We see that in this text, and we see that in other places in the New Testament, and that's not a hindrance to men or women. I think that's important to see that God created us, yes, equal in the image of God. Women reveal the image of God just as much as men do. That is true. They are equal, but equal does not mean the same thing as sameness. 
And this is where our cultural argument is today that would push against a passage such as this, to say that women are just as good as men. Well, what does that mean? Or that women can do anything a man can do. Well, can they? Can men truly bear babies? Like Kaylee just delivered a baby? Are we created that way? Is there truly a difference? And if there are differences, are these differences really wrong or, or evil, as some would say? Whereas our good God created these things and said, as we've been studying in Genesis, everything that he created, he said it was good. And so in the context of this, notice that Paul is telling Titus they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, we know that not every woman can be a mother. We know that, and Paul wasn't suggesting that. He's just talking in general to these in Crete that they would be mindful of these things, that they would understand what they're called to do. But notice who's doing the teaching. Women. Older women are teaching younger women. Now, before you all want to take me out because it's a Reformed church and stone me because I just said that women teach, that is not the context of the eldership. We're not talking about that, which he dealt with in chapter 1. It's very clear. It's very clear from the scriptures that God called men to be elders of the church. And why is that? It's the same headship issue that he's dealing with in chapter 1 that he's dealing with in chapter 2. In other words, there's a beauty in the diversity that God has given between the sexes and their individual roles in proclaiming the glories of God in what he has done in them and through them. And so he says they are to teach what is good. And so this training ultimately is coming within these mindsets. And I think it's important to see this, that in a world that doesn't understand gender, that we can see God's work in how he plays this out in the scriptures about how women and men in their respective roles, bring him much glory. You think even of the life of Jesus, a lot of the support and even business aspects to the ministry of Jesus were held by women. In fact, it's a woman who is the first to proclaim the good news of Christ's resurrection. It was women that ministered to Paul. It was women who actually sometimes delivered these uh, epistles to their locations. And so we see God's glory and God's even kindness in exalting women in a world that devalued women. You think it's bad in our culture? You think about Roman culture. Women were seen as property. Women were, did not have a right to vote. Women did not really have a right to do anything. They were seen only in the shadow of their husbands. And so isn't it interesting that even in the Western world where we have some of the greatest freedoms that mankind has ever known on the planet, we're now confused about gender. And so Paul is wanting to exalt these women. He's trying to encourage them in the context and exhort them to love and good works in this way. And so he's telling these older women to take this step. But notice here that he wants these younger women to be devoted. So in the context of verse 3, and these older women instructing the younger women, the older women here notice that this is biblical discipleship modeled right before us in the text of Scripture. Women teaching other women. 
teaching them how to do this. That it actually shows us, therefore, that this doesn't come naturally. We have to learn how to live out. And this goes for men, of course, as well. Dads, we need to learn how to be dads. Ethan and Kaylee are brand new parents today. The first day of their lives that they are parents, they do not have all the wisdom dropped, downloaded into their brains in all that they're going to encounter in parenthood. And sure, everyone's going to give them their advice and their two cents worth, but ultimately God gives that wisdom, notice in the context of God's people, in a very natural way as we take people aside and teach them in the way that they should go. And so we see here in verse 4 that these mothers are to be devoted in several different ways. They're to teach them, notice Paul mentions, to love their husbands. And he also says to love their children. Now, this word here that's translated love is philandros. It's an adjective. It's, It's speaking ultimately to an affection for their husbands and their children. And, and I, I think it's, it's important for us to be real here because Paul is not being cold. He's not just this, this unmarried apostle that thinks he knows all about motherhood and all about women. That's, that's some people have painted the apostle Paul in that way. There's all books written about it, and uh, they're really disgusting, actually, because they're totally putting Paul in a different light than he really is here. Notice it says here that he's calling them to this action of loving and showing great affection to husbands and children. Now, in the context of the Roman culture, that was counterculture. In fact, women rarely could speak uh, if their husbands didn't allow them to. And so, let's put this in the 21st century context, in our own context. I think right now, when we consider the life of a mother in all the diaper changing, the meal preparing, the snot wiping, the attitude correcting, the crazy communal living in some homes, um, and the affection that uh, is, is being demanded or called out from this passage can almost feel exhausting. How, how am I supposed to, how do I have anything left to show affection when I got all these things going on? Well, hear the encouragement of the Apostle Paul, let alone the Spirit of God this morning that God is able to give you the ability to fulfill all that he has commanded you. And that is really the secret of the Christian life in general. That we, are not, we don't have these commands that we, we uh, are burdened by, but ultimately his commandments are not burdensome, as, as 1 John says. But God gives us the very strength to live out what he has called us to. And notice the context again, that the sound doctrine would not become reviled. And so there's exhausted mothers in the first century just as there are today. I want to encourage you moms that are exhausted. Keep going. You are not just living out this for your children right now in your home in this context, but ultimately you are part of a larger building blocks of society itself. No pressure. God is using you to ultimately train and disciple children. You are preaching the gospel in your home. In fact, you are doing gospel missional responsibilities in your home every day, every time you go to the task of training and feeding and discipling your children. God is at work. And do not ever underestimate the power that can have in reverberating into generations from now. Children. In this context, you think you're out of it. It's Mother's Day. There's no Children's Day. So I need to encourage you as well. 
Ephesians chapter 6, Paul encourages the Ephesians, telling the children to be reminded that they were to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. He quotes the Ten Commandments and says, honor your father and mother. And he said, this is the first commandment with a promise. And children, do you remember what that promise is that God gave to those who are obedient to their parents? He said this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In the immediate context, that was the promised land. In the New Testament, it's very clear that these promises are ultimately in Christ, that God is faithful to his promises. And so children, the reason I'm exhorting you at this point is it's a lot easier for your mama to show you grace and patience and love and affection when you're not driving her nuts. You're called to honor her. You're called to encourage her. You are called to call her blessed, as Proverbs 31 says. Again, most mothers would agree that this is also the case with their husbands. We're called, they are called in this context here, to be lovers and affectionate to their husbands. Same is true when you have a grumpy husband. It's not easy to love him. And yet the scriptures command you to do that. But not in an overarching way that, that is hard to bear up under, but by the grace and the refreshing and the power of God's spirit giving you help to love in times of high stress and difficulty. But notice this is something that the older women are to be teaching, the context here. So that means that really it's not coming naturally, that these older women are to come along and help these younger women when they're in this exhausted or feeling unappreciated state. Hear the gentle voice of God and coming through the Apostle Paul that he's calling these women to not just have these things in order in their lives, but ultimately the larger goal of proclaiming sound doctrine to a world that desperately needs it. And so yes, the ones... The, the days that, that come that you feel literally dry when your children are sucking you dry physically and sometimes uh, emotionally and spiritually, or you feel dry even in a figurative sense that the Lord is working these things and challenging you day in, day out in what we would know as Christian parenting. But even Paul shows, notice, his affection for the churches with motherly language. Consider, for instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. He says this, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. See, Paul glorified God in the picture of a caring mother. And he, in fact, he took that illustration to share his affection with the churches that he planted. So these godly mothers were not just called to be loving and affectionate and devoted mothers, but secondly, we see in verse 5 here that God was calling them to be mothers that were dignified. And he does this in a two-part uh, way. He calls them to be self-controlled, and he calls them to be pure. Immediately, we can recognize here that self-control, a fruit of the Spirit um, in our lives, it takes the very Spirit of God to be self-controlled. You ask any mother the hardest part of their lives, I think they would probably share something along these lines. 
The hardest part is not just knowing what to do, but to do it in a way that glorifies God and being self-controlled and not destroying the very things that I'm building with my own hands. And so he calls them to self-control, complete dependency upon the Holy Spirit for all of life. In fact, it becomes joyous when we take these tasks that God has given us and we realize their gospel implications and God is giving us his spirit to do the very um, uh, power that we need to live these things out in life. And so we see that even this um, is something that we need his, uh, we are utterly dependent for his help. Notice that it's not just self-control, but purity. This isn't just sexual purity, but it's a chasteness and really in every area of life. Literally, God is setting apart his people, generally speaking, to be a display of his glory. You, moms, are being set aside as a display of his glory for what he is desiring to do. In fact, Peter says very similar things. Turn, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3. Many in our day like to buck up against passages like this, but Peter also, being very affectionate and trying to share with the wives and mothers of his day, he says this in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, likewise, wives, notice that he says likewise in the sense of what was just being spoken of about submission to authority in, in the uh, end of chapter 2, he says, now likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Think about that for a moment. And he goes so far as to say, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, and he goes into more instructions there about the adorning of the external and focused in, on all these things. He's not saying those things are wrong. He's just saying that if we're putting the focus on the external, but not what God is doing in the human heart and making us beautiful on the inside, that we don't understand ultimately what God is doing in us through the gospel. It's not merely external. In fact, our good works are not something that we are producing. It's something that God is producing in us and that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From Ephesians 2.10, we know that. And so Peter, like Paul, is using this same line, that they would see your respectful and pure conduct. And notice that living out the gospel in the context of this is a woman who is married to a, to a man who doesn't believe. That they would be one to the gospel because they're ultimately seeing Christ displayed in their very lives. And notice Peter's uh, uh, desire from verse 1 is that they would obey the word. It all goes back to God's word being displayed and clearly understood and clearly practiced. So for Paul, it's ultimately about the glory of God, but it's also about the word of God displaying such uh, important characteristics in the lives of his people and how those are to take effect. And so they're called to be dignified. They're called to be respectable. They're called to be pure. They're called to be self-controlled. And so some of you women that are praying for your husbands, hear the encouragement from God's word that God is using you 
as a preaching point for those men in your life that are unrepentant. And so Paul and Peter's exhortation holds fast here. So godly mothers are devoted, they're dignified. Now look at the end of verse 5. Godly mothers are also to be domestic. Now currently, we revolt under that in current uh, thinking because Paul, your thinking, is saying, oh, women need to just stay at home. He's not just saying that. But let's look at this. Notice that this um, focus here is in the context of what they're to be doing. Now, again, just as Nathan encouraged us in Sunday school, the great interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And we know that in other places, Paul encourages and warns women to be careful to not be led astray for things that they are not called to be involved in. And so right here, notice in the context of being self-controlled and pure, he says that they are to be working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. In fact, Paul encourages this for the younger widows as well. Again, culturally, we take the cultural interpretation here at, uh, in multiple places in the first century, many Christian men were being martyred. Many Christian men were dying. And there was a large amount of widows. And we know that this is the very context of the diaconate even was to make sure that the widows were fed and taken care of. There was no social um, constraints for a, a widow, especially a Christian widow, let alone a Jewish widow. And so there was this great care of the early church that they had to decide, how are we going to care for the widows? How, what is the responsibility of the church? How are we to do this? What is the conduct of these widows? What, is it adorning the gospel or is it bringing the gospel into question? And so Paul here encouraged these, these young women to be submissive and kind to their husbands and to work at home. Ultimately, give attention to what God has put before you, not all things that could be distracting. Now, Paul is not saying that women working outside the home is somehow against the gospel or that he commands against it. It's simply a warning that you wouldn't be distracted from the distinctives that God has called you to. And so culturally, this being played out as far as Paul is building a case for biblical manhood and womanhood here, he's seeking to show the importance of a mother and specifically a wife in the context of what we would see as God's creation of the home. That God ordained the human family. God brought Adam his wife. And it's in the context of man and wife that God brought children. And while that sounds to be a radical thing in our day, it's the oldest thing, literally, from Genesis of humankind and anthropology that God is the establisher of the human family, that God displays his glory. In fact, even sometimes in recent days, we find that the animal kingdom is a better example of what a loving couple looks like rather than what we see in our world today. Now, before we look at what Paul is saying here, let's see what he's not saying as well. I want to encourage you because there are women that don't marry, and there are women that don't have children and or cannot have children but would love to have children. And I want to be sensitive there because Paul is not being exhaustive here. He's simply reminding Titus in his culture at Crete at this time that these are things that he needed to put in order. In other words, they were out of order. 
And so it's not exhaustive in all the things involving women. And Paul doesn't want to do that here. And I don't think that's the right application here of this text, although there could be other texts that speak to these things. But I want to be reminding you that some women are called to singleness, and some are called to uh, not have children, and God has not given them the ability to do so, and he's very near to those, and is glorified in your life just as much as he is with a mother's life. And so this isn't to sideline you in our church that are not married or don't have children yet. And so God is very encouraging here through the Apostle Paul in these ways. In fact, we see that even in the context of Proverbs 31, that this is a woman that not only has everything together for her home, but she's going outside the home and not only making wise decisions, but blessing her community. So if you want to consider that from the Old Testament, we can see that in the context of Proverbs 31, that a, 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 a wonderful wife and mother will be one that not just blesses her home, but those outside of her home. And so Paul isn't just referring to just what we would see as traditional roles here of homemaking, although those are certainly included, but he's also setting out the great task of exalting the role of women in the home and what he's calling them to be in the home, what he wants them, their role to, to live out and how they're to perform that in the home and that they wouldn't be distracted by other things. In fact, Paul says something very similar in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says these words, but refuse to enroll younger widows, again, I mentioned the widows here, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips, busybodies, saying what should not be said. So I would have the younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Notice the context of that again, the commands and then the purpose statement, that there would be no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So it seems to be, it's very clear in the New Testament, and particularly in the first century, that young women and God's uh, salvific work in them was to guard them from the cultural sway that was leading them ultimately after Satan. He is literally saving them from themselves and those things that would tempt them in these ways. So Paul is not being sexist here. He's actually being very kind to bring out these societal problems, address it with scripture, and then encourage them in the Lord and to guard them from the enemy. And so these societal problems were undermining the very work of God in his church. And I remember this in my childhood, for instance. I grew up on a street with 16 homes. And I played just like any other child would play. And when the streetlights came on, we came home. And uh, I was a child of the 80s. I don't think parents really knew in the 80s what we did in those hours that we were gone. But we were trusted a little more, and the world was different but when we came home, we would come home to parents. And it was a great blessing. But over the course of my 18 years, I lived on this one street from the time I was five until I was 18. Every single one of those homes on my block had a divorce in it, save my parents. I don't understand the grace of God. I don't understand why he chose to spare us as a family, but he did. 
And I want us to see here that in the context of this, that God uses practical obedience in everyday life to um, his commands to ultimately save a generation. In fact, I was even a product of the Southern California school system, and I lived to tell about it. And God used it. He, he saved me from the, the, the mess of the world. And ultimately, you this morning are being beneficiaries of what God did in my parents' heart to raise a family in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to be so crazy as to believe that God would fulfill it. So you, mothers, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Fear God. As um, uh, Proverbs 31 says, that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's Scripture. That He is accomplishing this. So church, our culture constantly demeans not just gender, but women in general. They make them out to be objects, and if not objects, they're to be something that is to be um, put in a different uh, way than the, the Scriptures would put, place them. But God exalts the doctrine of his own dear son in displaying his glory amongst the sexes. And while our language, when we look at this in First and Second Timothy, may not be sexy enough for our society, God is ultimately using you, mothers, to build civilization in the traditional family. And God is going to do that on into the future. We know this because this is how he created it. It's his created order. And so don't let anyone ever tell you that you are to be doing something else or you're missing out in some way. The decay that we're seeing around us of people being lovers of self, disobedient to parents, running after various lusts and perversions have given ways to idolatries of all kinds and pointing to seek out and mar the very image of God to the point that people are emasculating themselves. This is the culture, mothers, that you are raising up a generation in. Mothers, do not believe for a moment that you are missing out, that you could be doing something greater than building children who are lovers of God, who are being discipled after the glorious Christ, who have nothing more than the banner of the gospel to aim their lives after, that you shoot them out as into the world, this dark world that God ultimately is going to keep them, and he is the only one who can save them. And so God is working his character. He's displaying his glory in you and through you. In everything you do, in everything that you touch, in everything that you're preparing, God is using that to build a case for the gospel in your community, let alone your own family. Mothers, keep running the race. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. Get back to believing that God is able to do for you what he promised that he said he would do for you. Truly, the scriptures are being fulfilled in your very life. Godly women live this out, and ultimately, it's for the exaltation of Christ and his glorious global mission. So, all these things, we've seen that God is uh, calling mothers to be devoted, to be dignified, domestic, and, um, and, or devoted, dignified, and domestic. And finally here, let's see how God is calling them to be deliberate. Again, the context here of all these encouragements of what they are to be in character, in their attitudes towards their children and towards their husbands, is ultimately that the word of God would not be reviled. 
Now, it's not the only blessing, but it's the context of this particular exhortation that he is bringing to Titus, to guard sound doctrine, ultimately to adorn the gospel of God. And so Paul's purpose statement for such ethical and moral qualities in older men, in older women, in younger women, and we see in younger men, even though we've not looked at those parts of the passage, his ultimate desire is that we would be doers of the word so that Christ would be exalted, that his gospel would go forth. We see this even in the context of 1 Corinthians, that in the the horrible context of sexual immorality that was going on in their perverse culture that Paul said that you shouldn't feel the need to get married, but because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. In other words, the gospel is central. Do whatever it takes to get the gospel out, but at the same time, in the present crisis, I wish that you wouldn't get married because of the need for the gospel, but if you can't control yourselves, if that is a desire of yours, then marry God created that for his purpose. He created marriage to display his glorious purposes and ultimately bear fruit to the gospel. And so we see here, again, this context is that you and I would be mirrors to the great redemptive work of God and to be Christ's proclaimers wherever we go. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What is Paul saying there? You, Corinthians, are the expression of God's glorious gospel. That The gospel is not just uh, ink on a page. It's being lived out through the lives of his people. And so in that context, we are called as men and women to live this out in our respective roles. The word of God is not reviled, but rather it's lavishly being displayed in the lives of his people. And it's something the world simply cannot understand. Why? Because it's supernatural at its very core against human nature. It's natural for families to disperse. It's natural for divorces to happen in a sinful world. It's natural for us to get sick and see decay in our society because we live in a sinful world. However, it's supernatural to see God's gospel working in the lives of regenerated people and seeing life lived out and that is something the world can understand because they are blinded to it as we know from the god of this age so we see this same encouragement not just to young women but jump down to verse 10 as we come to a close here paul gives the same reason to these bond servants notice notice says we'll look back in verse 9 for context he says bond servants or it can be translated slaves really bond servants were people who had been freed from obligatory slavery to stay with their masters, even in the Roman context, uh, as basically employees. And they would agree to it, but they were there of their own free will. And sometimes that would attach a time limit to it, but they would ultimately belong and be property of those in authority over them. And this is who Paul's addressing. He says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Everything 
that they are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. So notice he's focusing on character here. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? Paul's purpose statement again at the end of verse 10. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I think this could be applied to us as employees today. Are we adorning the doctrine of God in the way we live out our lives? The way that we do our taxes? The way that we live before our employers? Are we known as people of good character and integrity? Are we people who keep our word, that we show up on time, that we don't burn the clock, that we don't uh, take advantage of our employers, but we seek to uphold it and to encourage it? Why? Because we serve the Lord Christ, not just our human uh, bosses, as it were. And so Paul's statement here is that the word of God would be not reviled, but it would rather be adorned. And you mothers are able to adorn the gospel in your beautiful obedience to God who is on, or has you displaying his glory and his riches. Hebrews 4.12, we know that God's word is not just an empty book. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between the division of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Mothers, you are living in a disastrous generation. But don't be afraid because every generation before you has also been a disastrous generation because of the fall. That you have this high calling to look and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps there's a mother here this morning that has never turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps she tries to keep that outer shell and that understanding that, that she's a good mom and she loves her kids. And while that's not to be brought into question, she has never looked in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ as her own Savior. That I would encourage you and call you to trust in Christ, let alone anyone who's hearing this message this morning. But mothers, you are called to be filled with the Spirit to live out these and other qualities that the scriptures teach, to be displays of God's glory to your children, that when they see your good works, they may glorify God who is in heaven. It brings evidence of your salvation, the reality really of God's missional work in the world. And so far be it from us to teach our children about the glories of God and the need for his, um, his, his word, missionally speaking, and yet deny that in our works and our attitudes in the home. And this is exactly what Paul means when he transitions in verse 11, which I want to close with. Look at, look at verse 11 of chapter 2 here. He says, after all these instructions to older men, uh, older women, younger uh, women, and younger men, and bond servants, he says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, notice that Context again of training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, there it is again, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for what? Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There you have Paul's purpose, end of his purpose statement of why we're lo looking towards these things. It's not only the exaltation of Christ, but ultimately it's our future. That we are not just thinking about today, we're not just thinking about the 18 years of our children, but we're thinking about eternity. 
We're thinking about what God is doing in displaying his glory in our generation, in what God has on your plate. So as we close, perhaps you as a mom feel distracted. You dads as well. Maybe you are feeling that you are trying to do spiritual work with physical energy. Perhaps you're needing a refreshment to your soul afresh this morning. The Lord is here to give just that, to remind you that he is at work, that he's going to bring rivers of living water and refreshment to you as you trust him to fulfill what he has called you to. And so while there's many voices that will fill your head in this day and age about what a mother should be, let alone what you should be as a woman, that God is ultimately speaking to you his truth and that he is the one guiding you, that he is the one through his still small voice that is piercing through all these gut-wrenching um, uh, voices that you hear from blogs to Facebook and all the rest, that God will ultimately cause you to endure and help you to be the woman, the wife, and the mother that you are called to be. And ultimately, your assurance is not in these things alone, but ultimately in your God, who is doing these things for your good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. We've covered a lot of territory, and we thank you that your word is so practical. And God, we're seen in this generation as crazy people to believe that you created male and female, that you created godly roles for men and women to fulfill in different ways. But ultimately, we're called to this not because of just who we are, but ultimately because it adorns your nature and character. And Lord, we ask that you would strongly uphold the mother's and grandmothers in our church this morning. Lord, we ask that you would guard them from the evil one, that they would not be tempted in the ways that we have read about this morning. They would not be tempted to take their eyes off the goal of exalting you in their life's work. Lord, that they would never feel demeaned in doing what you have commanded them to do. And so, Lord, we thank you for our mothers this morning. We thank you for their faith. We thank you for their investment. We thank you for the fruit that is being born already in uh, their lives and in the lives of their children and grandchildren. But yet it's a fruit that will continue to endure on into eternity. And we are excited to see, Lord, that you use even the context of these pastoral epistles. Paul points out that Timothy's own mother and grandmother had a tremendous impact in teaching him the scriptures. So Lord, we thank you for this part of scripture in, in showing us the display of your glory in our lives. Father, I pray that you would uh, work amongst us to use our church as a light in this community, but also around the world, Lord, as we send out missionaries for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of your glory and our pleasure in you. In Jesus' name.